0: the markets. We just can't get enough of them.
1: Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy.
0: Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost.
1: I am Mohammed Nalla of MoKnows.com.
0: Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.
1: Welcome to Magic Markets.
0: Homes, cars, collectibles, you have sophisticated needs when it comes to insurance. So make sure you get bespoke insurance cover. Elite Risk Acceptances has you covered. Part of the old mutual group of companies, they are backed by over 180 years of insurance expertise. Visit eliterisk.co.za to find out more welcome to episode 17 of magic markets it's quite exciting most 17 is starting to become a big number it's been a number of weeks now since we started well it's been 17 weeks actually and uh, what a what a great journey it's been you are wearing your lucky blue hoodie today which is exciting um needed a bit of luck in the markets maybe but we can we can talk about that just now uh, welcome to episode 17 mo it's great to have you
1: as ever yeah it's great being on the show ghost i mean this is really the highlight of the week in and amongst you know markets up and down. And at episode 17, we're almost no longer teenagers. Magic Markets is growing up. And maybe we should have a little bit of a surprise uh, for, for, for some of our, our listeners in terms of a coming-of-age change at uh, at Magic Markets, but we can share that with them.
0: Yeah, there we go. Mo's committing us here, so we'll have to, we'll have to figure out something. Um, so Mo, I think tonight's show is around corporate governance, Sounds so boring. So let's make it a bit sexier than that. Scandals, big losses on the market, trading those scandals, how they happen, what the outcome is. I mean, this is a feature of the markets, right? This is why equities come with risk is they come with great upside if things go well. But at the end of the day, as the shareholder in a company, if things go horribly, you stand behind everyone else. The lenders get there first, the employees get paid, and whatever crumbs are left on the table can come your way. And This system, at the end of the day, relies on an ecosystem of trust. If there's no trust, there's just just no market. There's no ability to raise capital. There's no ability to do deals. And I I just want to talk to what's happened in the South African market in the past few years from a deal-making perspective before we get into some of the market stuff. So one of the reasons that companies like to list on an exchange is because they want to try and do acquisitions using their shares rather than using their cash, because it's hard to make money, firstly, and it's even harder and more expensive to raise money. So companies like to hang on to their cash. They'd rather have it on their balance sheet or be doing share buybacks with it or choosing to pay divvies. They don't like to pay it out in big numbers. However, we've just seen Mr. Price pay a massive number for Yuppie Chef, a business you might remember Mo, a nice uh, premium homeware kind of stuff, Mr. Price didn't tell us the exact amount they paid, but they said around 1% of Mr. Price's market cap. It was very cryptic. I don't know why they didn't just say the price, but that suggests somewhere in the mid 400 millions based on you know, the Mr. Price market cap. So very interesting and, and certainly a decent sized deal and, and a great outcome for the Yuppie Chef founders. But it's interesting because Mr. Price wouldn't have loved paying out all that cash, but I can almost imagine how the conversation went in the background because I saw it in my corporate finance time. For, for a few years after what happened with Starnoff, which we'll talk about shortly. But the founders of these businesses don't want to receive a whacking great amount of shares in a particular listed company anymore. Those days have come and they've gone. And the reason they've gone is because of the scandals we've seen in the South African market in recent years. And and just to finish off that point, you know, if you just put yourself in the shoes of an entrepreneur selling your business to a listed company, they wanna pay you with a big slug of shares. Those shares often come up come with some kind of lockup linked to profit warranties and earnouts, for example, or they may be issued to you over time. You know, they vest over a period of time if you stay involved in the business. Or it may be such a big portion of that listed company that you actually just can't even sell those shares without crashing the price, essentially. And, and one of the best examples of this is what happened to the, the poor entrepreneurs behind Techytown, the shoe business that the founders sold to Steinoff. They sold it in 2016. They received around 3.3 billion Rand in Steinoff shares. Massive number. And then the company basically lost all its value and these shares were essentially worthless. So now Steinhoff owns Tacky Town. Tacky Town. is worth a lot, Steinhoff is worth nothing. And the founders are sitting there having swapped their beautiful private company that they built from nothing into Steinhoff shares. And that battle oh. is still playing out and that's why South African shareholders are scared or South African founders are scared to sell to listed companies in exchange for shares. And that's probably why the Yuppie Chef guys just got paid this massive amount of money. So. That's the South African landscape, but it doesn't just happen here, right? Overseas, there's just been a brand new scandal, which is Greensill, which I think we should talk about for a bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty ghost that we don't use sound effects. You know, we could with with those shares evaporating in value, we could like insert a wah-wah, something like that, or someone crying,
0: you know? Your wish is my command, Mo. The,
1: the fact of the matter is this is almost the, the complete inverse of what we discussed in the episode where we discuss specs, where the founders there were literally getting remunerated with a stake in the company with shares. In this instance, you say because of the risk of scandal, potentially, that people just want all cash type deals. Um, now, we're not necessarily saying that's the case with regards to, for example, the Yappy Chef deal. I mean, that's a that's a great deal. Almost half a billion rands for a, a business that started up in a, in a garage means that there's actually some hope for uh, Magic Markets and the finance ghost started up with us. You know, you under your staircase, me in the garage.
0: I've got a new chair, at least, Mo. I've decided to splash out on a new chair. You know, it's, it's only taken 17 shows, but my squeaky chair spender. is gone. Big spender,
1: so. ghost. Big spender. That's it's because it. the chair was making a ghostly noise. And we had it. to change it.
0: I told you, I've only ever known recessions. It takes me a while to buy a new chair.
1: Let, let's talk Greensill. You know, so so Greensill Capital. You know, this this is a company that was fated in the UK. I mean, the the founder was a, a gentleman called Lex Greensill, former investment banker from Morgan Stanley. He was connected to the former prime minister, David Cameron, you know, frequently was seen in Whitehall consulting with politicians. And in fact, the former prime minister, Cameron, actually joined the board or I believe was an advisor to Greensill Capital. So what went wrong and who is Greensill? Let's, let's unpack that. You know, Greensill is a company that really was offering supply chain finance or short term credit to smaller businesses, allowing them to effectively take their data book and uh, pay their suppliers faster. They then packaged those as kind of collective loans and sold those off to other players. Uh, amongst other players, I mean, we're not talking small businesses here. I mean, Greensill counted amongst its, its clients uh, some of the companies like Vodafone, big listed companies. And also in terms of the packaging of the loans, they were selling those out to companies like Credit Suisse, for example. So we're talking big names. Now, where did this all unravel? was that Greensill was able to package and sell these loans because they were buying insurance from a company called Tokyo Marine. And at sometime during the course of last year, Tokyo Marine had a look at their exposure to Greensill and said, whoa, this is way past all of the limits that we actually had in place. There's a failure somewhere here. They fired the guy who was responsible for the relationship, but they also pulled the insurance on those loans. And without the insurance on those loans, all of a sudden, this starts to look quite risky. Now, for those of you thinking, hey, this sounds very much like the subprime crisis, it's almost exactly like the subprime crisis. Without the insurance, the funds that were buying these investments, these loans, were effectively buying junk into their portfolios, and that's when the cracks started to appear. So why is this topical? Is when you scratch beneath the surface, you actually see that Greensill Capital was busy issuing loans to a small and select group of people. Now, one of the biggest of those is a, a gentleman by the name of Sanjeev Gupta uh, I believe no relation to the South African infamous Gupta family. But Sanjeev Gupta is uh, known as the man of steel in the UK. So he's he's from India originally, moved to the UK, and a few years ago started making some very bold acquisitions in the steel, in the steel space. And I mean, this man, the size of his operation is quite substantial. He employs over 35,000 people in the UK alone, almost 14,000 people in the EU, and then there's some in Australia and the US, and Sanjeev Gupta was the recipient of very Three large loans from Greensill Capital. And at the, around the same time, as Greensill not being able to get additional funding because they ran out of insurance, Sanjeev Gupta's business started struggling to repay some of the loans to Greensill Capital. And that's when these house of cards kind of inevitably start collapsing. So, what's happened is Credit Suisse has frozen around $10 billion worth of their funds that were invested in this. It's still unknown as to whether investors will actually receive anything. Now, the investors, in this instance, Lex Greensill, as well as another contentious figure, Masayoshi-san from SoftBank, who put in $1.5 billion into this company, are all effectively on the hook and the company has filed for bankruptcy. This is Currently, one of the largest scandals that we're seeing in the markets right now, but not surprising. If you, I mean, you again, you scratch. If you look at Greensill, they owned a bank, or in fact, Sanjeev Gupta owned his own bank called Whalen's Bank. So, the best way to start kind of sloshing money around and making sure that your opaque structures work is maybe by the bank. But yeah, certainly a, 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 a something that's under investigation right now. One last point, by the way, going back to the whole, you know, house of cards is. All, or a lot of these companies that sat within Sanjeev Gupta's network were all supposedly audited by the same firm. And this starts to sound very familiar with some of the trends you were discussing that transpired in the South African market. So big lapses of corporate governance and certainly, as you say, scandal being the much more sensationalist word I think we can use
0: yeah that's it's, it's, it's I mean, there's so much in there it's like such interesting stuff man as as two ex bankers you know we've seen a lot of this stuff before and how these things get packaged and all that kind of stuff i mean what, one of the things i want to say is that softbank are not shy to have a punt they were <laughs> <laughs> if you see them having a go at something, it, it, yeah, they're they just are not. They really are not sure. I don't know what else to Their say. Their track
1: record is is patchy to say the best. I mean, right now they keep taking hits. I mean, the fact of the matter is, Greensill was giving loans to a whole bunch of SoftBank backed companies as well. So SoftBank's going to have to scramble not just around its investment in Greensill, but for a whole lot of its underlying investee companies that now have potentially run out of a funder.
0: And you know what's so hectic with this is, is Greensill actually provides important service in the market, the supply chain, finance, supplier funding, this is important stuff, like retailers use this kind of thing, all kinds of companies use this kind of service, and it helps them manage their working capital. There's a place in the market for this stuff, banks do it a lot, Greensill was just an alternative provider to the bank, and then they go and they, they securitize these loans. So I think it, maybe let's quickly touch on that for our listeners, when we talk about repackaging loans, we're talking about securitization structures. So what what happens is you take a whole raft of loans and you go and you package them into really good ones, medium ones, junk ones, and get them rated typically by rating agencies and then you go off and sell them. And it's okay if people know what they are buying, it's when they either don't know what they are buying, which is what subprime was, when people ended up thinking they were buying, you know, good quality stuff, but actually they were buying the person's third mortgage that they never stood a chance of actually paying off. Or in this case, the whole thing just unraveled because the entire business was predicated on having this reinsurance product. I mean, if you think about it from a risk perspective, literally Green Souls entire business only existed because there was an insurance company willing to stand behind these loans.
1: Not entirely accurate. I mean I think early days, as you say, they they provided a great service. It was traditional supply chain financing. And like you say, that's a very valuable service for small businesses. And it's a great business. I mean, they take these really small margins, but it, it acts as a great facilitator of, I guess, movement of capital. Where this kind of unravels is that the mandate of the funds, Greensill's own mandate, expanded from traditional supply chain receivables towards future receivables. And they started then utilizing the ability to sell out these loans to effectively grow their own balance sheet and issue riskier and riskier loans. And the disconnect comes in that the funds that were buying this were either not aware or effectively negligent. I One of the two, and and the investigation is still underway. But they then changed effectively what they were allowed to invest in versus what they did invest in were two completely different things. And that's where the thing fell short. So a lack of due diligence on a number of counts. One is from Greensill in terms of who they were giving money to. The other was from the people buying the loans from Greensill, a lack of due diligence there, both within the fund, and then like you say, you just throw in a smattering of auditors around there who aren't really doing their jobs, and you end up with a fairly toxic mess.
0: Yeah, and and this is certainly not the kind of insurance that our sponsor Elite Risk Acceptances gets involved in. You know, they'll happily insure your comic book collection, your car, your house, the whole shebang, your art, your wine. But not your securitized high risk structures, I'm sure. So uh, you know, that that that's something a little bit different. And and Mo, what's also interesting is how names just repeat themselves. So Sanjeev Gupta, I mean Gupta's a name that, you know, South Africans know and love. And there's another name that South Africans know and love, which is Marcus, which is Marcus Yostov Steinhoff. But that's another name that seems to not travel well because there's another Marcus in Germany who has caused some problems, hasn't he?
1: Yeah, if I say Marcus Marcus, and I say Germany, you're going to think Marcus Jurster from Steinhoff, but actually it's the former CEO of a company called Wirecard. And this is to show again, our listeners, a lot of who are predominantly in South Africa, is that this fraud doesn't just happen in South Africa. It's a global phenomenon. I mean, we just discussed Greensill, which was in the UK. Wirecard was a DAX listed company. It had at one point in time a market capitalization of over $28 billion. And it was probably one of the most spectacular blow ups over the course of the last year, in that, you know, it certainly was Germany's biggest post-war fraud. And now, what was Wirecard? They were a payments processor, and what effectively happened, very similar here, is lack of diligence, and you've, you you had effectively in this instance outright fraud, where CEO has been arrested, and the CFO is actually on the run as a wanted as a wanted criminal. Uh, and the reason for this is they made off with a princely sum of 1.9 billion euros in cash, which is now missing, and a further 3.2 billion euros worth of debt. So, you know, effectively here as well, failures were that they had said the money's sitting in a bank in the Philippines. When someone or if someone had done the due diligence, what's eventually transpired is you contact the bank in the Philippines who says the money was never here. You know, they they hadn't even heard of or, 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 or heard of the fact that the money was supposed to be sitting with them. So, you know, these kinds of frauds, perpetuate themselves just because the numbers are big, just because a company is a DAX-listed or a JSC-listed blue chip does not necessarily mean that they're immune to this kind of a thing. And quite often, I think this, this is where I think it's quite sensitive, is you tend to find very charismatic people at the heads of each of those companies so for example the wirecard guys were were known in germany in fact when wirecard was initially starting to fail uh, you know there there were some reports saying that the german government actually considered utilizing some covid funds to step in and rescue it, because they thought, oh, maybe it's failing because of COVID-related issues and the economy is really bad. Uh, And they actually considered bailing out this company because of the systemic risk. Uh, Obviously, they didn't, and and, and I think that was probably the right decision. But the same thing with Greensill. You know, you're talking of uh, someone whose name... Is shared with the company. Lex was Lex Greensill was friends with the former Prime Minister. You know, he's an advisor to government ministers, uh, and I can think of a couple of other charismatic individuals uh, who 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 try and run roughshod over their own shareholders. And you know, ghost, I know it's something close to your heart. So maybe I'll, I'll throw the ball over to you, and you can you can tell us how you really feel.
0: Yeah, I mean, no one, any, anyone who reads the finance Goes knows my views on. Elon Musk, and I must say, it has warmed my heart just a little bit to see the Volkswagen share price in uh, in the last week or two, because people have actually remembered, you know, while they climb into their golf to drive to work, that actually there's this company called Volkswagen, and they also make cars, amazing. And those cars will one day have batteries, also amazing. No one thought about this, you know. It'll be Tesla or Quits. Um, anyway, you know, I, I, I write about Tesla almost ad nauseum, but I think it's just so important that people understand. It is such a great example of a company that's just way too hot and a crazy CEO. I mean, what has he renamed himself now? The techno king of Tesla. The CFO is now the master of coin. I mean, if that isn't a risk, then I don't even know what is.
1: Coast, I'm surprised, you know, with, his, with, with, with SpaceX and sending his, his rockets up into space that he hasn't crowned himself, uh, you know, Master of Dragons or something like that. Because, I mean, Master of Coin definitely comes, it's a Game of Thrones reference, surely. So, you know, Father of Dragons is probably the next title he's going to give himself, uh, maybe in SpaceX, not in, in Tesla. But again, you, to the point. It's the charisma. People are buying into the charisma of an individual. Not too different to the Stein of story, which I know has been done to death in South Africa, but Marcus Joester was a known charismatic business leader in South Africa. And it's very important for listeners to be able to say, I can separate my investment case between the, the personality that I'm seeing, am I buying a personality or am I buying a business? And at the end of the day, when you're investing, you should be buying the underlying business. Are you paying a fair price for the underlying business? Uh, interesting fact, and, and you're going to love this, Tesla shares for the year to date, I think are down around 5% at the time of this recording, uh, and Volkswagen is up for the year to date around 57%. So... That's that's really a master of coin moment. But I mean, we, we called it, right? We, we spoke about this. Uh, what was the episode called, Ghost?
0: Uh, China's Electrical Storm, I think, or something similar. It was one of oh, our early, early ones. Episodes.
1: Yeah, we were talking about clean energy. And in fact, I think you called it, Ghost. You said, you know, EVs, we, we, we know EVs are the way the world's going. That's where the future is. But the fact of the matter is, is not just one player in town. And that's certainly starting to come through now. So I'm quite excited to see the plans from big companies like VW. Uh, Toyota's getting in on the action as well. Uh, I think it's an exciting space. Um, I mean, for those that are, are, are really quite interested in, in speculation, we spoke about specs in, in the last podcast. And there's a company, its, it's a share code is CCIV. Uh, it was a uh, Churchill Investments. That's a spec. Uh, And they've effectively allowed for the listing of a company called Lucid. Uh, Lucid is an electric car manufacturer based in California who've been doing this for a long time. So if you have this flavor for speculation, uh, remember, Tesla shares at $700. It, it's a tall ask. Um, if you go and buy Lucid shares at like $30, maybe maybe that's the next Tesla. Uh, but jeez, the space is getting crowded. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting and competitive space to watch.
0: Yeah, I'd just Google the Audi e-tron and then you won't buy any Tesla shares because it's beautiful and it's good and it's an Audi. And I think they'll sell a lot of them. Mustang Mach-E, same story. And, uh, you know, Mo, we both like cars. So we could get into talking about that all day. But going back to... Wirecard and money in accounts that isn't there. And at the end of the day, it's what I said at the start of the show, which is that the markets rely on trust. And as soon as the trust breaks down, we have a huge problem. And that trust is found in the annual financial statements, which are signed off by an auditor. And one of the more recent examples in South Africa was Tongard Hewlett, the sugar business, uh, not so sweet for shareholders. You know, that's the mandatory joke. And it was an accounting scandal. The share price absolutely plummeted, at multi-billion Rand hole. It was actually suspended from trading for quite a period of time. The shareholders were told, sorry, last year's accounts actually can't be relied upon. Whoops. And, you know, you never want to be told that. There's only one outcome for the share price when that happens. And what's interesting, though, is if you're feeling brave and if you're someone who can actually really dig in to the financials, you know, you're not just a momentum trader who's waiting for the next hot tip. You can actually get stuck in on the financials and do the work yourself. You can really find some cool trades in the market. So Tongard has been a five-bagger for those who bought in April last year. Obviously, that's perfect timing, perfect outcome. But sheesh, that's a that's a serious return. And I know people who went and did the work and said, no, this is this is way oversold. You know, let's get let's get stuck in there. I sadly am not one of those people. I did not buy Tonga shares. Um, but one of the shares I have bought, which I believe probably doesn't have five bagger potential at all, but it's still interesting, is EOH. And I wrote about it recently uh, in an, in an edition of Investors Monthly for Financial Mail. And if you really go and dig into EOH's financials which let me tell you set aside a few hours because they're not easy to understand but you can basically get to a point where they have a sustainable EBITDA number which is operating profit for those not familiar with the term essentially before debt and before interest and uh, taxes any of that stuff of around 500 million rand and that's after they go and sell everything that's currently earmarked for sale and their market cap is only 1.5 billion rand so that's a, a Essentially, an EBITDA multiple of only three, which is low in South Africa. So, you know, this is not a technical show, and we don't want to get into the technical stuff. But basically, it's a reasonable assumption to say that the other businesses that they have can be sold, they can pay off their debt, and they can come out in the You know, come out with a business that is making five hundred million rand a year, and they have a market cap of one point five billion. And that is a multiple of three. In South Africa, most private companies are trading on EBITDA multiples of between five and seven for private companies. So even if EOH just gets to those levels, it's essentially, you know, it's double your money. So that's something that I have bought into this year, which I think is is kind of interesting. I've speculated at Steinhoff, um, which I, <laughs> I, I remember mean, that <laughs> it's a trade that I'm almost embarrassed of because I must be honest, I have not gone and delved into you know delved into the entire balance sheet and what's going to happen, and I just haven't. I just I yoloed a little bit into Steinhoff uh, firstly in the hope that the Reddit guys would find it and goals, but they didn't. And so now I'm just, I've just left it there because I do think that startup's going to tick up over time. Eventually, if these things do get cleaned up, it usually comes out okay, but not always. You just have to ask the shareholders of Comair because they were wiped out. <laughs> they were diluted literally into obscurity and business rescue. There is nothing left. So it doesn't always work to have a wild punt
1: like this. Yeah, I think, I mean, Ghost, it's, it's a nice way to wrap up the show is, is that that's really what we're trying to achieve here on Magic Markets. We're not giving advice. We're helping people go out there do the homework, scratch beneath the surface. And I mean, our approaches are are, are very different in that I look at things from a a macro perspective, a top-down perspective. Uh, I like to look at those big themes and and I use that almost from an asset allocation perspective. But you've got to marry that with a bottoms up. You know, there are many times I've gone and invested in, in a company that, you know, I will go and scratch around, look at the financials, really understand. Because at the end of the day, you cannot buy something if you don't know what you're actually buying and this is where i think you know listeners really need to spend the time investment is a marathon it's not a it's not a sprint it's a marathon and on that basis, you've got to do the time, do the homework, uh, do your analysis from from multiple angles, uh, and sometimes it's fine to have a go with a small portion of your portfolio. You know, you take a punt here, you take a punt there. But certainly, from a, a, a risk management perspective, I think the overarching bulk of your portfolio shouldn't necessarily be going out on on on. Punts like a spec, or on something like uh, you know, where 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 potentially you're you haven't done the right due diligence.
0: Exactly, and the closing point from my side, I wrote an article in the past week on Ascendus Health or Descendus, as a, an ex-colleague of mine called it, which I found irresistible, <laughs> and it's it's been quite widely read in the market, which shows there's a lot of interest in this company, and it it, it actually explains the thought process you would need to go through to have a punt at a company that could really go either way. There could be almost nothing left for shareholders when all is said and done there and the debt is settled. Or we could see that share price come out at three, four, even five times what it's currently trading at. So again, it's risk return profile. It's not really investing. That That's gambling. We know that.
1: Diamond hands, Ghost. That's diamond hand <laughs> stuff.
0: Mo, I think that's it for episode 17. I just want to thank our sponsor, Elite Risk, and I want to especially thank all of our listeners who have been a great support on the show. We've gone through 25,000 downloads now, which is an awesome milestone for us. So excited to just keep that going and, and, and see it ticking up. Thank you, everyone who's listening for rating the show, sharing it with your friends. That's what helps us grow. And Mo, we'll do this again next week. Thanks. Homes, cars, collectibles, you have sophisticated needs when it comes to insurance. So make sure you get bespoke insurance cover. Elite Risk Acceptances has you covered. Part of the old mutual group of companies, they are backed by over 180 years of insurance expertise. Visit eliterisk.co.za to find out more. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.